Psalm 89, Sermon 2, Part 1 of Expositions on the Book of Psalms, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Expositions on the Book of Psalms, Volume 4, Psalms 76 to 101, by St. Augustine of Hippo. Psalm 89, Second Discourse on the Second Part of the Psalm, delivered on the same day with the former discourse. 1. Attend now to the rest of the psalm, of which we spoke in the morning, and require the pious debt, since he will repay through me, who made both me and you. In the former part of the psalm our Lord Jesus Christ was announced according to God's promise, and he is still announced in these words of which I am about to treat. A little above it had been said of him amongst other truths, verse 27 to 29, And I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him for evermore, and my testament faithful with him. His seed also will I establish unto world without end, and his throne as the days of heaven. I have said what was in my power on these words, and above all, from the very beginning. 2. It goes on, verse 30, If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, verse 31, if they profane my statutes and keep not my commandments, verse 32, I will visit their offenses with the rod and their sin with scourges, Verse 33. Nevertheless, my mercy will I not utterly take from him, nor will I hurt in my truth. Verse 34. My testament will I not profane, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. This is a strong pledge of the promise of God. The sons of this David are the children of the bridegroom. All Christians, therefore, are called his sons. But it is much indeed that God promises, that if Christians, that is, his children forsake my law, and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commands, I will not spurn them, nor will I send them away from me in perdition. But what will I do? I will visit their offenses with the rod, and their sin with scourges. It is not the mercy of one that calls them only, but also that chastises and scourges them. Let therefore thy father's hand be upon thee, and if thou art a good son, repel not chastening. For what son is there to whom his father giveth not chastening? Let him chasten him, so long as he takes not from him his mercy. Let him beat him when obstinate, as long as he does not disinherit him. If thou hast well understood the promises of thy father, fear not to be scourged, but to be disinherited. For whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Does the sinful son spurn chastening when he sees the only son without sin scourged? I will visit their offenses with the rod. Thus too the apostle threatens, What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod? Let not pious sons say, If thou art coming with the rod, come not at all, for it is better to be taught with the father's rod than to cherish in the caresses of the robber. 3. 
I will visit, he saith, their offences with the rod, and their sin with scourges. Nevertheless, my mercy will I not utterly take from him. From whom? From that David to whom I gave these promises, when I anointed with my holy oil of gladness above his fellows. Do you recognize him from whom God will not utterly take away his mercy? that no one may anxiously say, since he speaks of Christ as him from whom he will not take away his mercy, what then will become of the sinner? Did he say anything like this, I will not take my loving kindness utterly from them? I will visit, he said, their offenses with the rod and their sin with scourges. Thou didst expect for thy own security, I will not utterly take my loving kindness from them. And indeed this is the reading of some books, but not of the most accurate. Though where they have it, it is a reading by no means inconsistent with the real meaning. For how can it be said that he will not utterly take his mercy from Christ? Has the Savior of the body commit aught of sin either in heaven or in earth, who sitteth even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Yet it is from Christ but from his members, his body, which is the church. For in this sense he speaks of it as a great thing, that he will not take away his mercies from him, supposing us not to recognize the only Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. For there the man is not counted for his person, but the one person is God and man. He therefore does not utterly take his mercies from him, when he takes not his mercy from his body, his members, in which even while he was enthroned in heaven, he was still suffering persecutions on earth. And when he cried from heaven, Saul, Saul, not why persecutest thou my servants, nor why persecutest thou my saints, nor my disciples, but why persecutest thou me? As then, while no one persecuted him when sitting in heaven, he cried out, Why persecutest thou me? When the head recognized its limbs, and his love allowed not the head, and his love allowed not the head to separate himself from the union of the body, so when he taketh away not his mercies from him, it is surely that he taketh it not from us who are his limbs and body. Yet ought we not on that account to sin without apprehension, and perversely to assure ourselves that we shall not perish, be our actions what they may? For there are certain sins and certain offenses, to define and discourse of which it is either impossible for me, or if it were possible it would be too tedious for the time we have at present. For no man can say that he is without sin, for if he says so he will lie. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Each one, therefore, is needfully scourged for his own sins, but the mercy of God is not taken away from him, if he be a Christian. Certainly, if thou committest such offenses as to repel the hand of him who chasteneth, the rod of him who scourgeth thee, and art angry at the correction of God, and fliest from thy father when he chasteneth thee, and wilt not suffer him to be thy father, because he spares thee not when thou dost sin, thou hast estranged himself from thy heritage. He has not thrown thee off, 
for if thou wouldst abide being scourged, thou wouldst not abide disinherited. Nevertheless, my mercies I will not take utterly from him, nor will I do hurt in my truth. For his mercy in setting free shall not be taken away, lest his truth in taking vengeance do harm. 4. Verse 34. My covenant will I not profane, nor reject the thing that has gone out of my lips. Because his sons sin, I will not on this account be found false. I have promised, I will do. Suppose they choose to sin even as past hope, and so fall into sins as to offend their father's countenance, and deserve to be disinherited. Is it not still God himself, of whom it is said, from these stones he will raise up sons to Abraham? Therefore I tell you, brethren, many Christians sin venially, many are scourged and so corrected for their sin, chastened and cured, Many turn away altogether, striving with a stiff neck against the discipline of the Father, even wholly refusing God as their Father, though they have the mark of Christ, and so fall into such sins that it can only be announced against them, that they who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Nevertheless, Christ shall not be destitute of an inheritance on their account, not for the chaff's sake shall the wheat also perish, nor on account of bad fish shall nothing be cast into the vessels from that net. The Lord knows them that are his. For he who predestined us before we were born promised undoubtingly. For whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let desperate sinners sin as far as they choose. Let the members of Christ reply, If God is with us, who shall be against us? God will not therefore do hurt in his truth, nor will he profane his testament. His testament remains immovable, because in his foreknowledge he predestined his heirs, and he will not reject the thing that has gone out of his lips. 5. Verse 34 to 37. Listen for thy confirmation in hope, for thy security, if thou knowest thyself to be among the members of Christ. Verse 35. I have sworn once by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. Dost thou wait till God swear a second time? How often is he to swear, if in one oath he is false? One oath he made for our life, who sent his only Son to die for us. I have sworn once by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. Verse 36. His seed shall endure forever. His seed endures forever, because the Lord knows them that are his. And his seed is like as sun before me. Verse 38 and as the moon perfect for evermore, and the faithful witness in heaven. They are his seat, in whom he sits and reigns, but if his seat, his members also, because even our members are the seat of our head. See how all our other members sustain our head, but the head supports nothing above itself, but is itself supported by the rest of our limbs, as if the whole body of a man were the seat of his head. 
His seat, therefore, all in whom God reigns, shall be as the sun before me, he saith, because the righteous in the kingdom of my Father shall shine like the sun. But the sun is meant in a spiritual, not bodily sense, as that which shines from heaven, which he maketh to rise upon the just and the unjust. Finally, that sun is not before men's eyes only, but even those of cattle and the smallest insects, for which of the vilest animals sees not that sun. What does he say to distinguish the sun meant here? Like as the sun before me, not before men, before the flesh, before mortal animals, but before me and as the moon. But what moon? One that is perfect for evermore. For although that moon, which we know becomes perfect, the next day she begins to wane, after her orb is full, he shall be as the moon, perfect for evermore, he saith. His seat shall be made perfect as the moon, but that moon is one which will be perfect for evermore. If as the sun, why also as the moon? The scriptures usually signify by the moon the mortality of this flesh, because of its increasings and decreasings, because of its transitory nature. The moon is also interpreted as Jericho. One who was descending from Jerusalem to Jericho fell among robbers, for he was descending from immortality to mortality. Similar then is the flesh to that moon, which every month suffers increase and decrease. But that flesh of ours will be perfect in the resurrection." and a faithful witness in heaven. Thus then, if it was our mind only that would be perfected, he would compare us only to the sun, if our body only to the moon. But as God will perfect us in both, in respect of the mind, it is said, like as the sun before me, because God only seeth the mind, and as the moon, so is the flesh, which shall be made perfect for evermore in the resurrection of the dead and a faithful witness in heaven. Thus, then, if it was our mind only that would be perfected, he would compare us only to the sun, if our body only to the moon. But as God will perfect in us both, in respect of the mind, it is said, like as the sun before me, because God only seeth the mind, and as the moon, so is the flesh, which shall be made perfect for evermore in the resurrection of the dead, and a faithful witness in heaven, because all that was asserted of the resurrection of the dead was true. I beseech you, hear this again more clearly, and remember it. For I know that some understand, while others are yet inquiring, perhaps, what I meant. There is no article of the Christian faith which has encountered such contradiction as that of the resurrection of the flesh. Finally, he who was born for a sign that should be spoken against resumed his own flesh after death to meet the cavalier, and he who could have so completely cured his wounds that their scars would have been entirely vanished, retained those scars in his body that he might cure the wounds of doubt in the heart. Indeed, nothing has been attacked with the same pertinacious, contentious contradiction in the Christian faith as the resurrection of the flesh. On the immortality of the soul, many Gentile philosophers have disputed at great length, 
and in many books they have left it written that the soul is immortal. When they come to the resurrection of the flesh, they doubt not indeed, but they most openly deny it, declaring it to be absolutely impossible that this earthly flesh can ascend to heaven. Thus that moon shall be perfect for evermore, and shall be the faithful witness in heaven against all gainsayers. 6. These promises, so sure, so firm, so open, so unquestioned, were made concerning Christ. For although some are mysteriously veiled, yet some are so clear, that all that is obscure is easily revealed by them. Such being the case, see what follows. Verse 38. But thou hast approved and brought to nothing and forsaken thine anointed. Verse 39. Thou hast overthrown the testament of thy servant and profaned his holiness on the ground. Verse 40. Thou hast broken down all his hedges and made his strongholds a terror. Verse 41. All they that go by the way spoil him, and he is become a reproach to his neighbors. Verse 42. Thou hast set up the right hand of his enemies, and made all his adversaries to rejoice. Verse 43. Thou hast taken away the help of his sword, and givest him not help in battle. Verse 44. Thou hast set him free from cleansing, and cast his throne down to the ground. Verse 45. The days of his seat hast thou shortened, and covered him with dishonor. How is this? Thou hast promised all those things, and thou hast brought to pass their reverse. Where are now the promises which but a little before filled us with delight, which we so joyfully applauded, which we so fearlessly made our boast of? It is as if one promised and another destroyed, and this is the mystery. For the words are not another, but thou, thou who didst promise, who didst even swear in condescension to human doubt, thou hast promised this and done thus. Whence shall I get thy oath? Where shall I find thy promise fulfilled? Would then God promise or swear thus falsely? And yet why then these promises and these acts? I answer that he acted thus in fulfillment of those promises. But who am I to say this? Let us see, therefore, whether it is the language of the truth. What I say will not then be without foundation. It was David to whom the fulfillment of these promises in his seed, that is, in Christ, was promised. And as they were addressed to David, men expected their completion in David. Further, lest when any Christian asserted these promises to have referred to Christ, another by applying them to David, because he described the fulfillment of all them in David, might thus err, he cancelled them in David, thus obliging us when we see them unfulfilled in David to look to another quarter for their fulfillment. Thus also in the case of Esau and Jacob, we find the elder worshipped by the younger, though it is written, The elder shall serve the younger. So when you see it unfulfilled in those two brothers, you look for two peoples in whom to discover the completion of what God in his truth deigns to promise. From the fruit of thy body, saith the Lord unto David, shall I set upon thy seat. He promised from his seed something for evermore, 
and Solomon, born to him, became master of such wisdom, that the promise of God respecting the fruit of David's body was believed to have been fulfilled in him. But Solomon fell and gave room for hoping for Christ, that since God neither can be deceived nor deceive, he might not make his promise to rest in one whom he knew would fall, but you might after the fall of Solomon look back to God and demand his promise. Hast thou, O Lord, deceived? Hast thou failed to fulfill thy promise? Dost thou not exhibit what thou hast sworn? Perhaps God might reply, I swore and promised, but Solomon would not persevere. What then? Didst not thou, Lord God, know beforehand that he would not persevere? Indeed thou didst know. Why then didst thou promise me what should be eternal in one who would not persevere? Hast thou not answered, But if his children forsake my law, and walk not in my judgments, if they keep not my statutes, and profane my testament, yet my promise shall remain, and my oath shall be fulfilled. I have sworn once in my holiness within, in a certain mystery, in the very spring whence the prophets drank, whence they burst forth to us of these things. I have sworn once that I will not fail David. Show forth then what thou hast sworn. Give us what thou hast promised. The fulfillment is taken from that David, that it might not be looked for in that David. Wait therefore for what I have promised. End of Psalm 89, Sermon 2, Part 1